Today on the Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass is joined by Shoshana Weissman. Shoshana is the Senior Manager of Digital Communications and a Policy Fellow at the R Street Institute. She manages the Institute's social media and writes about occupational licensing, regulatory, and criminal justice reform, as well as social media policy. Her work has been featured in various publications, including the Wall Street Journal and USA Today. Find more Show Me Institute podcasts on SoundCloud at SoundCloud slash Show Me Institute and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Shoshana Weissman. What's the simplified way of talking about occupational licensing reform? Yeah, um, usually I, I talk, I, there's a lot of different ways, but uh, for most of it, it's like, hey, do you, um, most people don't think that you should need a license to braid hair exactly. or be a florist and stuff. And when you just boil it down to here are things you kind of know about in your life, yeah. um, did you know that in some states the government requires a license for it? Yeah, for sure. The hair braiding one is one that we've talked about here in Missouri, but uh, quite a bit. However... Before I get to that, I want to know how a nice girl like Shoshana finds herself talking about the Ninth Amendment all the time. Are you a constitution? <laughs> I'm not a constitutional scholar. I just want to be clear. Um, the Ninth Amendment, it doesn't come up in my conversations often. So I'm excited <laughs> that it's coming up in this one. So how did you end up really like uh, honing in on that particular facet of licensing reform? So I'm like the nerdiest person alive. It's it's to awesome. a ridiculous level. And when um, grow, growing up, I, I when I got into politics, I, I always wanted to make sure that everything I advocated for was constitutional. Um, but uh, I took thank you. I, I took classes in college. Um, I actually found a way to take five constitutional law classes. You found but, a um, way. Were you like <laughs> at multiple schools, or how are you making? Yes. Really? I, I transferred in uh, credits that didn't count as con law, so I could take both of our con law. Now that's drive. That is constitutional drive. I, we also had this class called uh, Madison and the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So I found all of those. Um, and like halfway through all those, I'm just like, I still don't get it. Like, I don't get the logic behind why why all of this works as it does. Okay. Um, I've also been a Federalist Society member since I was 19. <laughs> so actually, right. since I was 16. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I wouldn't want to misstate. I, I was in high school when I joined. Um, and then, uh, like being so in many high school students. Right, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went to uh, the national conference as soon as I moved here for college. Um, and the second year, I really gave it a shot. I spent the whole time there. And this one guy, Randy Barnett, was talking about the Constitution and um, and that basically, you know, why do we treat some rights differently than others, even though the Ninth Amendment says that we shouldn't. So he's the one who who's kind of responsible for all, all right. this. So it's um, all on Randy. Okay, yeah. we got to talk about the Ninth Amendment, right? And I uh, will say I had to look, I'm, I looked at a child's educational website to make sure I understood it correctly. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's kind of big words and it's yeah. not very obvious to me because uh, basically what it says is, you know, they the the drafters of the Constitution decided to add the Bill of Rights and I'm, I'm going to botch it and then I'm going to let you perfect what I say. And essentially they didn't want to say like, just because we said you have these rights doesn't mean that you don't have other rights. Is that right? No, that's exactly it. Okay. And, um, over the years, different scholars and judges have looked at it and said, oh, so you're saying we don't have to give as much protection to those rights. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it says. Wait, why? Uh, I don't understand. Um, I don't either. Okay. A, a lot of people don't. They just decided, um, basically, government likes its power. So right. government likes to take away rights and um, and reduce the protection they get. So that's really honestly what it boils down to. So um, and 
we're talking like the right to privacy, the right to eat junk food, the right to dye your hair purple, which you've availed exactly. yourself of. Right. Okay. So these are just saying like, just because the government, the constitution doesn't specifically say you have the right to do this, you do still have the right. Exactly. And because we have so many rights, what uh, the philosophy I believe in that Barnett has taught me um, is basically that because you have so many rights that you couldn't even list them all, like it's sure. impossible that um, that you have to err on the side of liberty because everything government does is going to intrude on some right in some way. And that's OK, you know, when it's actually protecting people and when it's doing its constitutional duties. But when it's not, you have to think, well, is this worth infringing on our rights? Is it worth it for government to say, hey, you can't be a florist without a license. Yeah. That's that's infringing our rights and liberty. Um, that falls more under the 14th Amendment, which super short is like the, the Ninth Amendment for the states, kind of, okay. um, that all our rights are protected there. But years of jurisprudence have taken away a lot of that protection. And there's thankfully a movement to get it back, finally regaining traction, not only in philosophy, but on the court, too. So in some states, thankfully no longer Missouri, I could braid my own hair. I could braid your hair for free if you're a friend, but if I braid your hair and you pay me, all of a sudden that's a whole different activity that's that requires a license. Is that true? Exactly. And you would be so shocked. I mean, you wouldn't be shocked, but it's just I, I'm I always be. still shocked myself, <laughs> myself mm -hmm. to find out about cosmetologists who say, oh, it's dangerous. Oh, you're spreading disease. Uh, scissors are dangerous. I, I've literally heard the scissors are dangerous argument. The hair blow dryers are dangerous argument. Uh. <laughs> Nail polish. And, you know, I, I'm very open to health inspections. So sure. letting that, you know, make sure health and safety. That's a reasonable way to be able to call the health inspector and say, hey, went to this place and it, it wasn't up to par. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very comfortable with that. But um, but to have, to have a license to braid hair. And as you know, in most of these cases, um, you know, uh, they have to go to school and get a license, but none of that training teaches them how to braid hair. Right. So it's just so wrong. And it's it, training it, on what, like hygiene and um, uh, what, like if it's not. Oh, I hair? wish. Oh no. It's um, <laughs> it's training on um on like dyeing hair and cutting hair. Oh, gotcha. Um, gotcha. A really small amount deals with um, right. health and safety. I've seen a lot of studies on it, and you'd be shocked. It, oftentimes, it's less than 10 or 20 percent. It's about health, safety, you know, sure. precautions like that. It, it's just all other stuff. And it's it's great if you want to learn. I'm all for trade schools and, and all kinds of education. I'm, I'm a learner, and mm -hmm. I, I admire anyone who wants to learn. But, um, but I don't admire anyone who wants to force you to have a government license to braid hair. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we, uh, like our mission at the Show Me Institute is about uh, individual liberty and just making sure that government remains limited and stays in its lane. And it seems like oftentimes the government, when people join the government, whatever that is, government big G, um, they assume that that is the best solution to every problem. And it just seems to grow and uh, get more intrusive in our lives without any real check on it. Um, I do a lot of work in school choice policy, and my colleagues and I have talked often about how when a, when a kid, child is born, it, there's this assumption that they belong, quote-unquote, to the public school system unless the parents actively try to take them out of it and pay for that uh, right to do so. And that's not how I see public education, and um, that's not how I see government. So we work a lot on these types of issues in terms of reminding people that government was never designed to solve every problem in your life, right? 
Oh, I totally agree. And and um, I don't work on school choice, sure. but I, I admire the issue a lot. Um, you know, I grew up really sick um, in my teens. I, I mean, I was always sick growing up, but then mm. in my teens, I found out I had uh, Crohn's endometriosis and fibromyalgia. Oh, no. um, and it, it's fine. Like it, it, it uh, brought me grit. But uh, one of the hardest battles was letting the school keep me out of school. I was so sick. I felt awful. I couldn't do much more than just lie down on the couch while I'm working through all these other doctors who caused me other issues. Uh-huh. But um, but the school had threatened us. They're like, oh, if you don't send her to school, we're going to take you away. And I remember thinking just this is so wrong. I'm really sick. I need help. And it's taking a long time to get that help. So you're going to punish me. Yeah. Um, the, the school psychologist saw me crying in the hallway because I was in a lot of pain. You know, it's a really painful disease. Sure. Again, grit. And I'm proud of the grit. But um, but at the time when I'm, I was younger, I was still getting used to it. And she she patted me on the back and she's like, you're making this up oh. Um, oh to God. go through that and see how how that kind of power yeah. can be abused, you know, in general. And then when the kids are, are really owned by the system. You know, I, I think about that a lot. Um, yeah. And it, it it's not my work, but it, it's work that I really mm-hmm. admire. Um, and you guys also do a lot of work. So I was honored that you asked me to come on because oh. um, I'm a big fan. Thank um, you. Appreciate that. No, you guys are amazing. So, I, I you know, I really appreciate it. Well, but, um, but I mean, a lot of our challenge, like we've talked about, is occupational licensing reform isn't something that... Um, you know, is talked about. It's not something that keeps people up at night. It's unless you want to um, be a hair braider yourself, right? And it's it's a good like example of how government can overreach. But it's hard for us to um, sort of connect with people on some of our issues because they're sort of dense and they're a little complex. So, um, what how what have you found as a, a good way to try to connect to people around these types of issues? So a big part of, of my messaging strategy is just being myself. Um, for a long time, I tried to not quite hide it, but just you know tone it down. I'm an odd person, and I like myself, but I know that it's a lot for some people. But um, a couple of years ago, I just started being myself a little bit more, and everyone liked it because people can tell when you're authentic. Exactly. So I'll tweet about everything from like, when I sprain my foot drunk and like I have to tie a frozen burrito to it because I don't have an ice pack <laughs> and people still joke around about that to my hiking and other stuff. So, so just being yourself shows people you're human. But then when it comes to the issue, just figuring out what resonates. And since I manage our digital media for, for years working in digital media, I've gotten to really look through the data and see what's working and what's not. And a big part of it is just removing labels. So yeah. like, you know, I'm libertarian, but for me, I don't label my idea as libertarian because it's something that I think everyone can agree with. Mm-hmm. And usually when you are passionate about an issue, you you kind of say, well, everyone should like this. So then right. show them why. Um, so I love sharing stories. I mean, there's so many uh, think tanks and law firms that, um, that have clients and being able to share their stories, what they're going through is really helpful. And also, um, just seeing what resonates. So uh, especially when I talk about the military spouse problem, I have so many the military, military men- staff problems. Oh, sorry. Uh, spouse. The military spouse problem. Gotcha. Sorry about that. No, no, no. But, um, it's fine. What, how, is there, what's the problem? So in um, licensing is so many issues and, and one huge facet of it is it makes it hard for you to move across state lines yeah. because, um, you know, uh, licenses don't transfer except in rare cases right. and military spouses move co- constantly so it's an issue working at R Street I've gotten really into. And whenever I talk about it, I have so many military members and spouses tell me their stories and what right. they've been through. Um, so figuring out, okay, this is something that people can understand and wrap their heads around because it's it's in their lives. So if you're and, a school um, teacher and your husband works on a base or your spouse works on a base and then gets relocated to a different base, 
you might have to get a, a license for the new state. Exactly. There's not and reciprocity. They, right. And they move so much right. that um, that it's basically, in, in certain cases, if they were to go through the whole process to get the license again, um, they would just move by the time they finish. Um, you hear these stories and it, it's so frustrating because, you know, America makes our military spouses and, and members move around the country. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to help them is something I really care about in all of this. And it's something that people really relate to because everyone knows someone in the military and the sacrifices they're making and the fact that we're making them do all this on top of it. Um, sure. And then in other cases with the hair braiders, sometimes people know someone yep. or they'll start talking to their cosmetologist about what they had to go through. So for me, I just like to try to tie it into their lives, something that they can relate to. Um, and so, you know, I used to worry that it was like talking down to people, not to talk in like my big nerdy way, but yeah. I realized it's just better to do it conversationally, just to, to walk them through it, just like you would anyone on anything they're not familiar with. You know, um, I live in this super nerdy space that I love, uh -huh. but people have their own lives. So trying to relate it to the things that they're familiar with in their own lives has been really helpful for me. Sure. I mean, we get up and come to work here every day and talk about Missouri policy and Missouri tax policy. One very challenging uh, policy area that I work in is pension policy. And, you know, the level of understanding is is not strong. And but we're really into it. Right. So it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I use that discount rate. But it doesn't necessarily translate to uh, what, you know, people understand or care about. But I think the hair braiding example is a good one. I also saw in, I think it was Nebraska where uh, horse massage, you needed a license, yeah. equine massage and some things where it's like, you kind of accept it. Like, yeah, of course a barber needs a license, but then you think about it and it's like, but why, why does a barber, why does a hair braider, why, why does a florist have to go through that process other than it's government regulation, government intrusion. And sometimes, um, you know this way more than me, but it, you know, it can prevent people from being able to earn an income and support themselves. Oh, absolutely. And using examples like that really help because some people might think, oh, of course you need a, a license, but then you but remind them you're literally just massaging a horse. Like you can go up and pet a horse, but if you're massaging it for money, you can't like, so you, you get people thinking through that. And also you're, you're totally right about all the income issues. Um, because first it takes away income from people who would otherwise be able to do this kind of work. Um, second, um, it, um, it makes uh, services more expensive, so that way sure. fewer poor people can afford them. Yeah. And as you go down the list, you see all this negative impact on people. So there, you know, it's worth it to have the stories combined with the data. It's something Arthur Brooks talks about a lot because I know, as um, you know, as people who care about the work and the research, we sometimes worry that using anecdotes would um, would take away from the meaning because anecdotes can be used in lots of good and bad ways. Yeah. Uh -huh. But I tend to err towards Brooks's idea where you just combine them really well just to give human examples to the data not to you know twist the data or anything so that's something I always try to keep in mind too um, because I, I care very much about doing the things that'll help people even when it's stuff that um, that doesn't always sound like it or, or it's hard to explain because it's so data heavy you know Arthur Brooks American Enterprise Institute Yes. Yeah, so now Harvard. I Formerly. Think. Yeah, yeah. Now Harvard. Yeah. He does a lot of great work. Um, and I would completely agree with that. Um, let's come back to the Ninth Amendment for a second. I yeah. believe that it's been determined that it does protect the right to privacy. Is that right? In some so cases? I, I could be wrong, but I think that that might fall under the fourth. Mm, okay. Um, what about people saying that they have a right to uh, unionize or right to health care. Do you ever think that that 
Ninth Amendment gets used in a way to like prove that I have a right to a free and fair education. I've, a, you know, what do you think about that? What about people using the Ninth Amendment to greatly expand the government? So I don't think that the Ninth Amendment itself has been used that way, which is interesting because you you could see that it that it would be ripe for it. Mm-hmm. But um, but it, um, I I worry about those positive rights too. For me, it's always right from government intrusion. Mm-hmm. Not right to grow the government. That's that's where the Ninth Amendment comes in to protect against that. Um, and there, there's other examples, too. But I, I definitely agree. We have to be careful about like positive rights and stuff that that it's you know, it comes down to like natural rights theory, which is basically like we're born with inherent rights. So it's all the stuff you're born with. And that if government wants to take that away, that's the issue. Not that we have a right to anyone else's fruits of their labor or stuff like that. So you're talking life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Exactly. Those fit in there. <laughs> like you don't have a right to happiness, but you certainly have a right to pursue it, right? And exactly. liberty. Liberty is the one that we talk a lot about here, because that to me is one that is really at risk as government. Like I said, only get ever seems to get bigger and not smaller. So um, I think Missourians understand that, but it's uh, helpful for us to continue to remind them of these points. Like, you know, if you don't. If, if you're not careful, the government's going to start regulating everything you do. So uh, we, we're here to sort of talk back to that. And, and, and one thing that we talk a lot about, too, is transparency in government and how that can, uh, if you don't have good transparency in government, then these kind of things happen and people don't realize that they're happening. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes even transparency isn't enough when it's just so so big. Like yeah. if you read uh, like uh, Mike Chase, who wrote uh, the, the book on all the federal crimes uh, and his Twitter handle is Crime A Day, which a lot nice. of people know, it's unbelievable. And that's just the federal regulatory code. Mm-hmm. And with a state code, it's it's sometimes hard enough to find online. And once you look at it, you're like, what the heck is all this stuff? In your perfect world, what does occupational licensing reform look like? Oh, man. Where would we go? So take out some of my fairy dust and then figure we're not licensing lots of things. Okay, Okay, I'll I'll keep it. Okay. (laughs) Um, We don't license hair braiders, cosmetologists, all that. A lot of those professions would be at first replaced with health inspections. And then we would see if we need that. We we could test out, see how that works. But at the very least, to, to make it so you don't need a license to cut hair, to dye hair. I do my own hair. And it's eight colors, and I know how to use bleach and all that stuff. They sell it over the counter, so if they do that and someone has good reviews, I'm comfortable going to them. So just getting rid of a lot of licensing, making it so that nurses who are trained to do things can do all the things they're trained to do. Because in a lot of times, nurses receive lots of training to do um, to do work that they're not allowed to do on their own um, or that they're not allowed to do at all and that a doctor has to. So reforming all that. Um, and then reciprocity. That- Oh, yeah. Reciprocity across everywhere. Every state would be like, hey, you can come to us. And right now, a lot of the best bills are like, hey, you have to pay a fee when you come in. In my dream world, you wouldn't have to. I'm fine with it for now, but it would be nice to get rid of that. Um, And then before we ever decide to license anything ever, ever again. That's important. Yeah, we would do a test, maybe like. Um, a handful of cities we would test against one another or um, or we would do other tests like the one that um, there was one of um, licensed florists in Louisiana versus licensed uh, unlicensed florists in Texas. There was no difference between their work. So basically, if it's not a huge health hazard, if people if people who face real danger have other recourse and they do um, to take care of it that way. 
um, it, it would it, there would be so much good to be done. I mean, People would have. Yeah, it would be nice to to flip that logic where if if a new profession emerges, whatever that is, it's up to the government to prove that it does require a license versus the current situation where people like you and ordinary citizens are trying to uh, make the case that you don't need to have a license. So it'd be great if the burden of proof were on the government's end and not on our end. So, you know, exactly. rather than being the default. Oh, fun fact, if you fall behind on your student loans in a bunch of states, they'll take away your license to work. And that ends up hitting teachers and nurses. That's so counterintuitive. So they take yeah. away your way to earn uh, when you can't pay enough on your student loans. They prevent yep. you from earning money. Hmm. We've been working with coalitions in various states to get rid of it. Um, when we st when we found out there were 22, when we wrote our paper, states. there were... Yeah, it's it's actually the the Department of Education's fault from okay. the uh, 1990s, mm. um, and then um, yeah, so it it ended up being I think a total of 22 or so states that enacted it. But since there was a New York Times profile, we wrote a policy paper on it, nice. um, and now it's down to like 10 states or so. But one of my favorite data points is that people were like, oh, well, they're just lazy. They'll repay now. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm like, OK, well, let's see if this is true. So there was uh, a study done showing that, yes, they did repay the loans by taking out more loans. So yeah. you're just putting these people in this insane cycle of debt. You're ruining their lives, often because they get sick. And it's like, yeah. you know, I want them to repay their loans. But the way to do that isn't by taking away the job where they make the most money. Exactly. So another policy area that you write about a lot is social media regulation. Anything you want to talk about there? So I don't want to get myself in trouble with some people from Missouri, but Go for your it. senator has been kind of mean on social media regulation. Uh -huh. And I've had a yell at him on Twitter a bunch of times because he's a FedSoc guy. He knows better. He's a law nerd. Um, uh, months ago, I wrote this piece on why uh, existing privacy and bot regulation made no sense. So, you know, it, it really... It was really totally detached from any real goal. Sen the senators and also out in California really didn't know how um, how these things work. It would have been simple automations that make our lives a lot easier. Like what? Um, so, uh, for example, I schedule tweets through Buffer. Under their definitions, that might be illegal. Um, if, if I'm part of an, a targeted organization, only because they think automation is bad for some reason. Um, because what they do think they want to do specifically? So in those cases, they wanted to stop Russian bots, but they don't understand how Russian bots work or even like what they are. Okay. They think that Russian bots create fake news, but that's not how it works. You know, bots may help spread misinformation, yeah. but um, but the it's not the automation that's evil. It's the person creating those fake stories and then having them go after the bots, which are less effective than using real people. And I then with the there was more to it though. Like, didn't they want to limit what I could see on social media? Um, so the, the later regulation got there. Um, this is just the, the older California laws and the, the proposed national laws from last year. Okay. This time, um, I didn't think anyone would ever touch Section 230. What's Section um, 230? So Section 230 basically takes away certain levels of liability. Because social media is so big and there's millions and millions of posts, you can't say that Facebook's liable for all of that. Okay. But sometimes they're going to want to go in and moderate and say, hey, um, this looks okay or, oh, this doesn't look okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they should still be held liable for it because they're not the ones creating the content. They're trying to do their best to moderate their platform. Right. When you, But when you um, get rid of Section 230, you create this thing that a lot of scholars have called the moderator's dilemma, which means that Facebook knows that if they moderate anything, they're going to be liable. So, of course, they're not going to moderate sure. anything. 
So then it's going to harm the platform and cause the problems way more. And then his latest bill, I just wanted to tear my hair out ah. because it was so ridiculous. It was, you okay. know, he wants to stop social media addiction. Even his oh, definitions yeah. are wrong because, like, <laughs> that's not how social media addiction works. It, it hasn't been proven to function like like the typical type of addiction. Not to say that maybe there's a government role, but even let's say let's say his definition made any sense. Okay. It doesn't, but l let's say it did. He wants to ban infinite scroll, but <sighs> pagination is okay. So the difference is you'd have to click page one, two, three, four. Like on Reddit, I don't care. I'm just gonna go <laughs> forever on pagination. Like that doesn't. That's not how that works at all. Mm. Um, and he also wants to ban autoplay, but only in certain cases. So you can have autoplay if you're music, but not video. But you can't have it in video if you're Netflix, but not YouTube for no reason at all. There's no logic to it. And there are real issues with YouTube autoplay. I don't doubt that whatsoever. Um, but this isn't going to fix those issues. That's like, I, I think they should be working with government to make sure that the real issues there, if there's stuff that they can do to help each other. I'm all for that. But this is just banning stuff. Like it, it wouldn't make a difference. It would just sure. hurt newer platforms. And if I'm correct, I think his, his 230 bill had a limit, like, um, like it would only apply. No, no, his, his 230 bill, I think it did apply to everyone, but his, his later bill would apply to like smaller, pla uh, smaller platforms oh, as no. well. And it's like, you're just, you're just like, outlawing certain kinds of user experience sure. it he had no idea what he was doing it was so detached from reality and i had such high hopes for him but he is really not making me happy <laughs> because the interweb is a connection of tubes and wires that's what it's sounding like to me like right please don't go there we also had a thing a protest a couple weeks ago in our state house uh, where and it was truck drivers but they want to outlaw driverless trucks and it's just this fear that this next thing is going to create change that I'm not comfortable with. And so, um, you know, I think several states have outlawed driverless trucks. And Missouri is a state that's largely flat. And we have an interstate that runs directly horizontally across the whole thing. We would be a great candidate for driverless trucks should they choose to come here. But to ban them is just to say, like, I'm not comfortable with where the world is headed. So I'm going to try to put a block up through the government. And that's not liberty. Absolutely. And there's so much of it. It makes me so frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, we we work a lot on, on uh, autonomous vehicles. I love uh, Arizona's governor. Mm -hmm. He's um, We've become friends because we just nerd on the same level. <laughs> but, um, but he's been really good with enabling uh, autonomous vehicles yeah. and making sure that it's safe. And unfortunately, there was a death, but he, he worked to make sure that the problem was fixed and not just outlaw the whole Oh, yeah. I think in Arizona, the, the United States Postal Service and UPS are both running driverless trucks right now. So it's happening. Oh, yeah. It's going to just only grow because I, I completely acknowledge that there have been accidents. But compared to what I see on the streets of St. Louis, it is yeah. like 15 minutes worth. The bad uh, stories coming out of driverless is maybe 15 minutes worth of what happens uh, with humans behind the wheel here in this city. So, I, But, you know, I'm not really judging it effective or not effective. The market seems to want it. It's probably coming and to simply outlaw it or ban it or to ban people's use of social media platforms. It's never worked in the past. I think we've tried prohibition. It, that's not a workable solution. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, you, you might think it's a bad thing. You want to put a stop to it through government, but that's not the way. That's the whole point, right, of like the Ninth Amendment or the Fourteenth Amendment. Like the government is the, isn't the way to prevent those things from happening. Um, you can try, Absolutely. but it won't work. 
No, I totally agree. I mean, in, in the article I had written about uh, Holly's latest bill, I called it a Luddite's fever dream. Um, <laughs> fever wasn't the word I was thinking of using. Um, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and our um, my our president had just written an article on like, on like basically guys to stop trying to outlaw automation and robots and sure. stuff. You know, it, it's going to come. And of course, we want to do it safely and test and everything. But um, if we don't, if we didn't move forward with the cars, like, is that bad? Because, you know, people who operated horse and buggies had to lose jobs. I mean, you know. trains, It's uh, there was there was outrage at all uh, stages of the development of transportation. People are like, well, I'm not getting on a train. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? And here yeah. we are. And you can think it's weird. Like, I hate scooters. They're weird. I don't like them. Uh-huh. But I think they should be legal. Sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I might get behind the wheel. I mean, I might get in uh, uh, an autonomous vehicle and try it. I'm going to have to probably get used to it at some point anyway. So, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, know. I like driving, though. So that's going to be hard for me. Yeah. I, I tease my husband that he's always going to have a car with a steering wheel and an accelerator out in a barn behind our house after they're banned. I'll take <laughs> it out every now and again, uh, illegally, but... Um, Oh, gosh. We'll keep fighting the good fight, Shoshana. It's such a delight to talk to you. And um, we will, uh, we look forward to following your work. Same here. Thank you so much. And always here to help. You guys are amazing. Where should people go to find more about your work? So um, on Twitter, I'm at Senator Shoshana. And also I run Our Street's Twitter account, which is at RSI. And you can find lots more at uh, rstreet.org. I don't want to out you, but you're not actually a senator, right? Well, a lot of people think I am. I know. I love I, those exchanges, by the way. I love I, those exchanges. Oh, I love it when um, when I ask them for bribes and they CC the FBI. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, yeah, there's just a senator with rainbow hair you've never heard of who mm-hmm. just you happen to tag and she wants $20,000 to mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You can Google her and, fi- and solve that pretty quickly. <laughs> right? Cool. All right. Take care. And uh, thanks for talking to us. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.